sometimes what I do if I'm if I my hands are cold and I'm stopped on the trail, I'll actually take my gloves off. I put them down my bib shorts, <laughs> down the front of my bib shorts to warm them up, and they warm up real quick. So hot tip from Levy for everybody listening. It's that All right. with urine or without urine. <laughs> <laughs> the urine warms up even more depends on the day Henry it depends on the day and my mindset how <laughs> many monsters you've had hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast I'm Mike Levy and because the temperature is dropping way too fast in many places on the top half of the world today's show is going to be all about how to ride your bike when it's colder than a polar bear's asshole and hasn't stopped raining for the last three months, which is kind of how things are going right now if I look out the window. And I'm not sure about you guys, but my personal list of things that I can't stand, it's full of lots of stuff, but right at the top is being cold and wet, even above rattling e-bikes, drivers who sit in passing lane all day, and just about everything else. And I'm pretty sure that these winters get colder the older I get, Kaz. So today, we're talking about some tips to help keep your fingers and toes from falling off when it's chilly, how to stay dryish when it's anything but, and some setup tips to help keep your bike working properly through the winter. But first, how about some cautionary tales so we know what not to do when it's really cold outside? Mike Casimir is with us, of course. Kaz, I know you mountain bike, you ski, you used to do a bunch of climbing. I feel like you have a story or three where you've had to piss yourself to warm up. Am I am I right or am I way no, off? Luckily, no, I've never had to piss myself to warm up. That's oh. I've avoided that. Yeah, I've definitely been very, very cold before, but I've never... never. The week's not over, Kaz. You I don't know, know what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you ever been so cold out there that you've been nervous for your own safety, Kaz? Uh, yeah, not as much mountain biking, sometimes more with skiing, but I've definitely had some adventures where I would went further than I should have decided that like the snow will clear eventually. And, and then it didn't. And then you just keep walking. Cause you're kind of close to the top, but not really. And then a few hours later, you realize how cold and wet you are. And yeah. yeah. There's not snow at the bottom and I'm riding uphill and I get snow and I think, Oh, if I just keep going, I'll get to the top soon. But then I'm trudging through the snow and it's like always that crunchy snow that kind of cuts your ankles and calves and stuff. Yeah. And then you're post holing and then pushing and then dragging. And then it just keeps going. And kind of, I, I make the epics myself accidentally on purpose. And then, and then I just kind of, I deal with it because I'm good at dealing with all that stuff. But if yes. other people were with me, with me, they wouldn't always like it that much. Sometimes I think you might be too hardy for your own good, Kaz. Like, I think we've all had those situations where we're like, yeah, I should have turned around two hours ago, eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, it's an adventure. But then the sun's starting to set and you're like, I don't need this adventure. But yeah. <laughs> now it's a scary cold adventure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. We've also got Sarah Moore with us today. Now, Sarah, you're from Quebec where it's a hell of a lot colder than you're living now. Does that mean that you're a pro when it's freezing out? Or did you move to BC because you admitted it's way too cold over there? And how many times have you had to pee yourself to warm up? I feel like peeing yourself would actually make you colder because it's like sweating where yeah. you'd like, you know, be like warm in a, a moment and then afterwards <laughs> it's it a would just be like <laughs> very short term gain. So I've never yeah. done that. I don't I yeah. wouldn't recommend it as a warming up technique for anybody um, but i do know sarah that you own some battery powered socks so i feel like you hate being cold i really hate being cold i think i mean i guess you know you asked if i'm a pro when it's cold i would say that i have a lot of experience riding when it's cold i there was one year when i worked at specialized canada that we actually kept our lunch rides going through montreal winter so we had like studded tires like specialized defroster winter shoes with like three shoe covers and like waterproof pants on top of like three long underwear and like so many clothes. It took so long to dry up uh, to get dressed to go riding. Um, it's not worth it, Sarah. No, it's not really not worth, worth it. it. Yeah. So it's way easier to go out for a ride. <laughs> hey, wait. So I, yeah. I just have to ask, why did you keep riding through the winter? Like, did the company have like some sort of like some companies offer like a, if you commute year round, they offer like free lunches or something in the cafeteria, you know, like, or was it like a competition <laughs> we a or were you all cafeteria. just trying to be super hardy? <laughs> uh, well, there was the sales manager and I who we kind of just like normally after my mountain bike race season, I would just like quit riding. Like I was like, after September, you can't ride. 
and so yeah (laughs) i was like i'm exhausted like it's cold why would i go riding so pretty much like i didn't know that you could ride from like september until march pretty much when i lived in quebec and then this one year the sales manager and i kind of just kept going out riding every lunch hour and then he got us studded tires and i was like well i got to keep riding. We have studded tires now. <laughs> and it was like, well, I'm not going to quit. If he's not going to quit, I got to show that, you know, I can do it. And he, I think he was like one-upping me and I was one-upping him. And it was just like, you know, everybody thought we were crazy, which is like the best feeling ever. So And then our toes <laughs> fell off. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> but we rode every day. <laughs> and we rode, like, it was so hard, but like, there's always like the craziest wind on the flats. And I just feel drafting off of him and it was so cold and I was like this is so stupid and like your legs just move so slowly when you have like four layers of clothing on them so yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not sure I like bikes that much <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't need to ride them in that weather <laughs> all right so in case you guys didn't know a whole bunch of us have been up in Pemberton for the field test over the last two and a half weeks we've been riding down country bikes Whatever those are, we've been riding trail bikes. Now, Pemberton is just north of Whistler, so it, it can get pretty chilly up there, especially this time of the year. Henry Quinney was up there with us as well, testing bikes, and he's got a hell of a story for us. Um, it actually it doesn't involve a whole lot of mountain biking, but it's sort of a cautionary tale about what you don't want to do and him being way too cold. I'm not He might have actually peed himself, too, to be honest with you, Henry. What happened? Well, it does have a bit to do with mountain biking. So I moved to Sea Sky Corridor back in June. And I've been kind of keeping my head down. And I thought there was this like event is going on in the middle of the woods. And I thought, I'm going to go make friends. So I went there explicitly to make friends. <laughs> and um, in the preceding days at Field Test, we'd, uh, we'd all been showing each other like a cool documentary every, every other night or something like that. And Alicia put on a documentary about like fungi and how i mean this guy in the video he made a very compelling case about how you could pretty much do no wrong right i've never partaken and I, but i'm really interested in how the brain works if i'm honest with you so i had a few beers and i was making friends and someone said a few would you like to see how, how your brain works and i said boy oh boy what a treat and i just dove into this bag of bag of treats right these these fungi and i had some and then after about an hour i thought hmm not much is happening. I've never heard any jokes about doubling down before. That's definitely the thing to do. And so I did. Classic. And then had a nice time. And all I could say was for an hour or so, well, I was having a really nice time, basically. And then at one point, I just saw, I saw this lady's foot in what appeared to be four dimensions. And I was like, oh my God, something's going on here. So I wasn't feeling very well, to put it, to put it bluntly. So I thought, I said to my colleague who was there, I said, mate, I think I need to go for a bit of a walk. It's only six kilometers back to the house. And I know the way. It's just What time is it, Henry? What time is it? It was probably about one o'clock in the morning. It's probably minus five or six Celsius. Pretty chilly. It was pretty chilly, man. I wasn't wearing that much clothing either. And um and so my (laughs) my colleague said, Oh, I'll let's go for a walk, man. We'll go for a walk. So at one point, one of the last things I can really remember clearly was me saying, remember just saying dude, like, this hill's so steep. And he, and he was like, what? And I said, this hill's so cheap, steep. And I've spoken to him afterwards. And apparently I was doing, like, knees to chest. And this <laughs> ground is flat. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so he, he palmed me off a head torch and he said, you know, good luck. I mean, I experienced lots of things that night. The stars are beautiful. I went for a wonder. I slept on the side of the road. And I was really cold. And I woke up like, oh, my God. I'm cold enough to die. I remember just thinking that I'm cold enough to die. And I've thought if I've got to be sensible for half an hour here, because otherwise I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, I, yeah. no, I you just... were literally Henry sleeping on the side of the road in the bush. And yeah. it was cold <laughs> enough that you could have gotten, you could have been in big trouble. I was, big no, I was trouble. in big trouble. And I, and I saw, it sounds really silly, but like I saw my life in this incredible narrative of which I've never observed before. I never want to see it again in the, there is no hero coming for me. Like, I'm just an ant on a popsicle stick at a picnic. I'm nothing. Like, if I don't do something, I'm going to die. And so I saw in the distance, I mean, I walked for a bit and I saw in the distance this light. And this isn't a metaphysical thing. It was, it actually existed. And I remember just thinking, I've got to get towards the light. And so I just bushwhacked, just bushwhacked, just through woods and stuff. And basically it was this house 
And I can't really remember, but I remember being woken up inside the house. <laughs> and they were like, who are you? And I was like, I don't know. And I'd lost my phone and all my ID. And they're like, who are you? And I was like, oh my God. Because the thing is, people live in these remote locations because they don't want people like me ruining their Saturday evening at 2am or 3am. <laughs> so they were just, I mean, they were kind of angry, understandably. And, um, and all I could say was warm. I was warm, warm, warm. And they were just like, what? Who are you? All, the only thing I could say is warm. And um, I mean, I was real scared, eh? Because there were times where they got a bit angrier and I was like, oh, I couldn't say anything other than warm. And then they would say, just go jump off at the end of the road. And I was going, no, warm, 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 no, warm, yeah. warm. Because you were in trouble. And, um, you were that kind I was of- in trouble. Yeah, I was in real trouble, eh? And um, anyway, so then they very kindly, after a bit of negotiation amongst themselves as so much as anything, and they very kindly, and if, if you're in Pemberton, and you've got some friends that had a strange English chap rock up to their house who couldn't speak any sense, put them in touch with me because I would like to buy them some beers or, or a meal or something like that because they saved my bacon. And they drove me home. And because all I could say was warm, and then eventually I could say the name of the road that we were staying on. And yeah. they worked out. I mean, it must have been like the Da Vinci Code or something. And so they dropped me off at the house. I got inside and I couldn't see by this point. My vision had completely gone. And I remember stumbling and feeling along the wall until I got to the inside of the door and then I just started smashing the door going Mike 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 and then and then it and it's funny I only realized then how that's when the crap period was actually starting <laughs> yeah yeah Henry yeah. you were you were so I got up it was like it was probably 3 30 in the morning and I got up and you were banging you were inside the house banging on the glass door saying Mike let me in and you were already inside the house. And I remember oh, I man. grabbed your hand to stop you from banging on the door. Henry, your hand was colder than ice. Your lips were blue. Like, I don't think I've ever seen anybody that cold in my life. It was wild. Do you know, here's something crazy, right? And this is something I think an element of, an element of danger, perhaps, or the chance that you could actually perish is really important. Important. I, th- I think it's good to feel extremes. Maybe not this extreme, but in general, I think it, I think it's quite grounding. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing is that, like, you know, like many humans, sometimes you don't appreciate your life or the sanctity of your own or, or your own safety. And it's funny if you've ever had maybe a bit of a rough time and and you've maybe held your own um, your own life experience in little regard, and then you go ride a mountain bike and then you nearly go over the bars, and you, your self preservation kicks in, right? Oh my god! I actually, I don't, I don't want anything bad to happen to me, and um, and it was amazing the way that like it's hard to explain, but I felt such a visceral sense, such a visceral fear, and such a visceral feeling of thirty minutes sharpen up because in this thirty minutes, if you don't do the right things, you're in a bad way, and that was yeah. a really grounding experience. Horrible, and I was pretty shaken up in the morning, but um, yeah, I remember being being going to bed and still the same clothes that I, I was in, and like having all the blankets on me yeah, and waking up like six hours later, still cold. Yeah. I, I put you to bed, Henry, but I wasn't going to undress you. That's a step too far. (laughs) What Mike? I know. I know. (laughs) Well, somebody did. (laughs) So to be fair, this story is slightly related to mountain. I lost a mountain bike. I lost my phone. I was like that mate of Shackleton's that went out for a long walk and had no intention of coming back. Lawrence Oates. Lawrence Oates, man. Holy Michael. Yeah. What a night. This week's Pink Fight podcast is presented by Ego Nest Box. Ego Nest Box is a revolutionary removable camper conversion kit that fits most vehicles and will make your next biking adventure more enjoyable. It provides a full kitchen with a two-burner stove, running water, space for a fridge, and a comfortable bed, all in your vehicle with no permanent modifications needed. Nest Boxes are now available in the U.S. and Canada with a special offer of free shipping, available factory direct through www.egoe-nest.eu. Egonest.eu. Okay, so let's get into the news. A ton of new bikes have been released in the past week, including bikes from Mondraker, Canyon, Rocky Mountain, Trek, Giant, and Camp Majo. Don't recognize the last one? Well, probably not unless you're in the market for a tandem mountain bike. The Camp Maggio Enduo is an aluminum frame 29er that's made to order so you have a huge amount of choice. You can get anywhere from 110 millimeters to 195 millimeters of travel and pretty much free range on geometry. The main pivot parts are CNC'd and replaceable, so different shock 
sizes can be mounted to adjust the travel. Oh, we need to get it in. Yeah, <laughs> we can have the uh, Huck and Henry and Leap and Levy can hop on this. And don't. You're, you're... Oh man, my my favorite part of the whole article was the second rider does get a set of bars, but the only thing that they can control is their own dropper post. It's like, yeah, yeah, I don't really want to <laughs> have that little control. Okay, so let's go back to more traditional single rider bicycles. Uh, the Canyon Spectral is now available in three wheel combinations to suit all flavors. There's a full 29er, dual 27.5, or mixed with a 29er wheel up front and a 27.5 wheel out back. Uh, the all-new 150-millimeter frame also sees a few kinematic and geometry revisions. What do you guys think about this one? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. It's basically just like a way to fill in the gaps in their lineup, sort of, because they had that spectral last year, and so the geometry is pretty much the same, but then now they just have a, like every possible size that you could ever have for a bike, like wheel combination and all of the things it seems confusing to me a little bit, but I guess if there's someone that really wants 27.5 wheel bike in aluminum, they can have it. And yeah, it's a, there's so many options. It'd be hard to keep track. It is confusing. Matt was putting this press release together at field test and he was like, what the heck? So many numbers, so many different versions. Could it be the lesser evil if they do? Cause I think the Spectre is actually a cool bike and a lot of Canyon's bikes aren't that, I don't think the geometry on them, is that progressive or dialed? I'd say the spectral and the sender are the exceptions to that. So wouldn't it be cool if they maybe slimmed down their range? Because it feels like they've got so many bikes, they all kind of look the same. And it's like the spectral, neuron, strive, torque, and unknown. Now you've got like the spectral, which has more aggressive geometry than its enduro bike. And it's all this weird sort of moving pieces. Yeah, it's, it's quite complicated. But I mean, you know, the good news is there's tons of options now for someone that wanted a Spectral. There's every flavor, every modern flavor is available. So they're out there. And yeah, I, I reviewed the original version of the original new version and it was a fun bike. So yeah, something for everybody. Nice. Moving on to some EMTVs, Rocky Mountain just released the all-new Altitude and Instinct Powerplay e-bikes. The Altitude is designed for enduro-style riding with 160 millimeters of rear travel. That's 10 millimeters more than the previous version. Well, the Instinct is designed for trail riding with 140 millimeters of rear travel. They developed a new and improved motor for these bikes, the Dynam 4.0. Uh, it has the same power, but with more refinement, less drag, and less weight. Plus, there's a bigger battery, faster charging, and a higher chain line, allowing for a more rearward axle path. Are we going to get one of these in for testing, Kaz? Uh, I think in some form. Yeah. If not me, someone will probably spend some time on it. It definitely looks interesting. I like what they've done. All the all the bullet points on paper look super good. Big battery. It's got the display on the top tube and uh, the kind of semi-high pivot uh, design. So, yeah, it looks, looks cool. They're using their own motor, too, aren't they? Which is kind of neat. Like, it, yeah. for better or worse, I, I do kind of like that. Yeah, it's cool that they kind of stuck with that because originally they were, I mean, there's not that many companies that didn't go with, you know, a kind of pre, pre-made Bosch or Shimano or something like that. But Rocky took their own path and they're still sticking with it. And it, yeah, like I said, this one looks pretty good. So um, somebody will be spending some time on this soon. Nice. Trek also released a new EMTV this week, the Rail. So that was two days after the Rocky Mountain released their power plays. It's a 150 millimeter travel carbon frame that has similar geometry to the Slash, their enduro bike. It has a Bosch CX motor with 750 watt hour power tube battery that delivers 125 watt hour power boost compared to the previous generation. The bike is specced with two 29er wheels, but thanks to a flip chip adjustment, a 27 and a half rear wheel can be fitted in the high bottom bracket setting. Matt Beer had some first impressions on this one. Sounds like he didn't get along with the tires and the handlebar remote is a bit cluttered, but knock block 2.0 was an improvement and the motor was quiet. So which one would you guys choose between this, the Rocky and the Trek? Well, I think they both look pretty cool, but I suppose we need to speak to Pink Bike's electronic fanboy, Mike Levy. What do you think of the electronic gubbins telling you that your your shock's inflated to the correct pressure? I mean... It's important, right? Ah, I can't imagine man. without like <laughs> yeah, you need more up and down more the batteries. It's like <laughs> okay, so it's like if a tree falls down in the woods, but no one hears it, does it make a sound? If you don't have a light on top of your suspension and it feels the same, but you can't measure it, <gasps> is it pressurized yeah. correctly? So, so the lights on these things they tell you if it's lost any pressure or not, and I think they go red or something if you have, and they they're green if it hasn't. I think it's silly. Like, yeah, I do. I think I the idea the is lights, silly, especially on like a multi-thousand-dollar e-bike. Well, I would say that the lights 
what the lights tell you isn't actually anything to do with suspension. It tells you that SRAM has too much time on their hands. That's what the lights tell you. Like, what? What? Don't even check your SAG once a week. Like, if the air seal goes, it's not like by half a PSI. It's like, no, it's that's more wrong. substantial than that. That's wrong. That's wrong. Like, I've definitely had bikes that have lost air. Like, if I don't ride them over a few weeks, the shock will lose air. And that means that there's something wrong, whether the valve core is loose or gunged up or there's a seal issue. That's an issue. That's a problem. Um, but I see, I guess my point is when I go to the trailhead, all those times that I go to the trailhead and I, I see people on bikes, a lot of people I can tell just by looking at the bike that they're, they have way too much sag. So if Coming there's a guy tool that, that may, sag. might, I don't run, when do I run 40% sag? Yeah. <laughs> I run 20% sag Kaz for efficiency, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm just saying my point is there's a ton of people out there that aren't getting the basic first step of suspension setup right. So if they could do that and then use this little light thing and it goes red when it tells them that something's wrong, I don't know, maybe that's not a bad thing. Do I want it? No, hell no, because I check my shit. I don't know. I think Am I wrong? If somebody, <laughs> yeah. If somebody has 10 grand to spend on an e-bike, they should probably just spend seven grand on an e-bike and then spend the 3000 learning how to check their suspension once in a while. Yeah, but dude, that's not, we, you and I, we're looking at it from a mountain biker point of view. If we look at it from a new rider point of view and their first bike is an e-bike, who cares how much they're spending? Almost that's besides the point. I know that's, anyways, the point is a lot of these people, their first bike is a Trek rail e-bike, whether, regardless of what we think of that. And yeah, I mean, they could maybe use some help. I don't know. I'm trying to be fair here. <laughs> You're trying hard. If you have I'll a you- fancy, if you have a fancy enough vehicle... Mine doesn't do this, but I've been in vehicles where they got, you know, the tire pressure on the wheels and you can say yeah. like exactly what PSI is in each of your tires. So I see where they're coming from. I mean, that's kind it's of It's a cool. safety this, thing. It tells you. Exactly. Yeah, this has tire width too, so you have four extra surely. Oh, there you go. See? Just like a car. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Henry, you, you just asked about autosag. I know a lot of people didn't like autosag. Kaz is like rolling his eyes right now. I think the idea of autosag is great. People, mm, I think it's you just too. push the button, boom, your suspension sag is set up right. I'm sure your rebound and compression are way off, but at least your sag is right. It's good. I, there's this man with a beard on a Netflix documentary that told me auto sag was great and no bad could come of it. <laughs> Don't and I believe it to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say that we did get to ride the Trek rail at the during field test when we're not riding all the other bikes. And the bike itself works well. It doesn't need all those lights and bells and whistles but the, the bike itself feels good aside from the tires and it's like the bosch motor is nice and quiet it's got all kinds of power mm-hmm. so there's a lot going on that's good but yeah the, the extra little gadgetry kind of i'm not a big fan but yeah like you said someone's gonna love it so much i i pedaled the e-bike up mckenzie up that road to recover the truck from you guys leaving it up there and i was going up this hill so fast that I almost I hit a water bar, water bar Kaz and almost flipped over the handlebars while climbing the e-bike up the forest service road <laughs> <laughs> anyways let's move on to the next piece of news Sarah from Pacific Northwest Components yeah so in a surprising turn of events or at least I was surprised I don't know if you guys were but PNW Components has released a line of apparel the brand, better known for dropper posts, handlebars, and stems, released their first apparel collection consisting of a unisex jacket and jersey and a men's specific short. Something that I thought was pretty cool is that this fall 2021 apparel collection is covered by the same lifetime warranty as all of the other PNW Components branded products. So I know a lot of brands that offer repair programs. And I actually just got a jacket warrantied from Arcteryx. But within the bike industry, like, can you think of other brands that have a lifetime warranty on their apparel? And it's not like it's Arcteryx prices either for this apparel. It's it's pretty reasonably uh, priced. I can't think of any other clothing brands that do that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Lifetime they, warranty. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I think. I, do they do I, gloves? No. Not yet. And I, a lifetime warranty on gloves, I would buy. But actually, there are other companies that offer lifetime warranties. It's just most people don't read clothing warranties. But I know, like, I think Seven Mesh does it. And other, it's not that uncommon, especially in the more. Yeah, like, but those are like $1,000 jackets. Yeah, but I bet if you look well, close, really, even. But they're so expensive. I haven't researched, but I bet there's more than you think. It's more of a 
I'd call it a bullet point, but it's good that they have it. But yeah, back to gloves mm-hmm. though. Gloves last like half a ride, no matter what. No matter how, if someone can figure yeah. out how to make gloves not blow yeah, apart. Yeah, I was like, if I need this. something. How are you put? On... How are you putting your gloves on? My gloves <laughs> last forever. What are you? Do you... What are you doing? Well. You don't put it with your closed fist. Is that what you're doing wrong? <laughs> like, how are you breaking so many gloves? They just, I have big hands. I don't but know. Interestingly they... enough. Well, they always gloves, come Kath, They come in different sizes, mate. You don't have to... They still rip. <laughs> they all blow out. I have like a pile. Yeah, I just keep wearing them even when they're ripped. Yeah, they all come out right at the seams, right around here, around the thumb. Maybe I just have like fat thumb or like wrists or something. <laughs> it's from pulling them on. Yeah. It's from pulling them on. They always tear. Yeah. yeah. So once BMW offers a glove with a lifetime warranty, that's what I'm going to buy. But what's the, because it's not like your lifetime, it's the expected lifetime of the product. What is Yeah, the there is bullet points in, in the, uh, I haven't read all the bullet points on the lifetime If they warranty. say it's only two years, then that might not be any further than a normal manufacturer's warranty anyway. Well, I think it's the life of the product, like for how long you, the original purchaser, bought the product. No, it will be... No, it's the li- it's the expected lifetime of product, like a bicycle lifetime warranty. In certain countries, only like five years, sometimes it's seven years, but it's expected reasonable lifetime of that product. Mm. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a really nice sounding thing, but I wonder actually, I'm not saying it isn't great, but I wonder how it actually works. Sorry to be a downer. <laughs> well, Henry, if you could have one item of clothing that's not gloves that you would want a lifetime warranty on, what would it be? Oh, um... Uh, I'd, maybe I'm putting clothes on. Maybe I, t- I don't really break clothes. <laughs> I break. Probably it could have to be jackets. shoes, wouldn't it? I think everybody listening, most people listening would say shoes. I bet. Shoes. Shoes fall apart. Shoes? What? Yeah. What are you doing to your shoes? <laughs> Henry, that you just is very put easy on tight the laces. I'm just, that avenue is so delicate putting on shoes and gloves. <laughs> <laughs> i just whenever i read comments people are always talking about shoes that fall apart everybody's mm-hmm. bagging on 510 and other companies for oh, shoes that I mean, fall apart they don't, they don't last but that's different to that's not a warranty thing though is it yeah if i could get a set of 510s that i didn't wear that would be like didn't wear out that would be amazing a couple other news items I wanted to touch on. Pink Bike Academy Season 2 Episode 3 is dropping this week. And Crankworks Rotorua kicks off on Wednesday with five live broadcast events. Uh, we have Tom Bradshaw, this who is there for us this week. So I'm looking forward to seeing some videos from him. Although I am very jealous about the weather that he will be experiencing compared to the weather in Squamish. All right. And that brings us to the questions. We've got two today. The first one is from Pinker Cerrone. Maybe that might be how you pronounce it. Uh, he wants to say the mountain bike community as a whole has done a very good job of perpetuating the importance of wearing a helmet. He says he rarely, if ever, sees anyone on the trails without one. I can't remember seeing anybody on the trails without a helmet. Contrast that with BMX or skate community, he says, where helmet prevalence is far lower. How did it come to be that way? And could we get a shout out to the community as a whole that wearing a helmet isn't even seen as a controversial idea whatsoever? I think mountain bikers care less about looking cool. So we just know to wear helmets because we're smarter. I don't know. Our helmets are also cooler. They're not like the little eggs, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And that's personal. (laughs) <laughs> I, mean, I think there's the speed there's the amount of time that you're on the bike too like maybe if you're bmxing you're only riding for half an hour so you don't have time to think about that you have no helmet but if you're out for a five hour ride then you have five hours to think that you have no helmet on but there's also the image thing i mean it's just kind of how it goes I, I, I do think it's silly that these guys are not wearing helmets because yeah, yeah arguably enough... a lot of the stuff they're doing is like harder than mountain biking or more dangerous than mountain biking and they're not wearing a helmet right yeah, some of those crashes in that swamp fest video i would want all of the padding and all of the everything those guys are so gnarly but yeah, I'm not really sure how it could be I, fixed. Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't understand why everybody just wouldn't wear a helmet all the time. Like sometimes I want to wear a helmet just walking around, let alone riding a BMX bike off a set of 30 stairs, like grinding down a freaking railing or something. Come right. on, guys. Sometimes I wear I it to I the trail and driving my car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, at the same time, I honestly don't care. They can not wear helmets for all I care. Who cares? It doesn't matter, really. I think all he wants is a shout out to the community as a whole that wearing a helmet is not controversial. So there you have it. We just did it. Yep. All right. Next question. This is from Extremist. I definitely didn't pronounce that right. Uh, He says, 
Why do bike chains not use O-rings or X-rings in the chain like dirt bikes do? He says it would seal in lubrication and seal out dirt around the pin and between the plates. Um, He says he could think of potential weight or chain width limitations. Uh, The other thing I think and the bigger factor there, well, two big factors. One is space. Have you seen how tight those cogs are? When we got 12 cogs back there, you're going to put tiny little O-rings in the chain Um, You don't have a lot of room to work with. And I think the other thing is friction. We don't even put out one horsepower, let alone, you know, those dirt bikes do 40, 50 horsepower or more. So it's less of an issue with them. They can easily overcome it. But with me, I need all the power I'm putting out to go to the rear wheel. I don't want any O-rings in there. So that's why. Do you want to bring a bike park to your town? The Saris Foundation wants to get more kids riding bikes. Our new grant program is accepting applications. It will provide funding for building bike parks worldwide. Sarah's bike parks are holistic in nature, providing an adrenaline-inducing biking experience, inviting everyone ages 8 to 88 to come ride together. Are you ready to be a bike park champion? We need local, engaged community members to be the boots on the ground and bring a Sarah's bike park to your city. Sarah's bike parks will be neighborhood-centered, free to the public, and open to anyone who wants to shred. Visit sarahsfoundation.org and apply today. That's Saris, S-A-R-I-S, foundation.org. All right, and that brings us to our discussion for today. Let's be honest with ourselves. Mountain biking is even better when it's sunny and warm outside. But unfortunately, that's not how this sport works very often, unless you live somewhere toasty year-round. In which case, I would like to come live with you. Kaz, I've always wanted to do like some sort of editor exchange program with like Flow is Down in Australia or like maybe some some other cycling magazine tips? or yeah oh yeah there's cycling tips down in Australia that's us <laughs> that's us I could go do that down there but I I haven't quite looked into that too far but for most of us it's a matter of adapting to the conditions as they change be it just wearing a warmer jacket maybe you have to bust out the lobster paw gloves and fat bike for five months Sarah Moore if you want to keep pedaling year round. Or maybe it's so wet that where you live, you have to use a wetsuit. Either way, there are all sorts of ways to make the most out of a cold situation. Casimir, what's the absolute worst conditions that you've ridden in on purpose? Uh, I think one one ride that stands out was on the North Shore probably. It was a while ago now, maybe seven or eight years ago. But it was the wettest ride I've ever been on, and it still holds. I think it rained five inches that day, maybe six inches just during the day. It was insane. Yeah, we started out and it was it was raining a lot, but then it rained like it was one of those, I don't know what they call them, atmospheric rivers or some kind of weird typhoon or something. So we were riding and it just getting deeper and deeper of rain. At one point we were riding up this trail and we came to a bridge across the trail and we realized we've been riding up a creek bed, but we didn't even know because it just looked like all the trails. <laughs> like the bridge was going one way. We're like, wait a second, how is the bridge like that? I'm like, oh, we're actually in the stream. And it, it was so wet. Like I can't even explain how wet it was so that was a uh, it was pretty bad but it, like we had a good group of people and luckily it wasn't freezing cold because it was raining not snowing so i, I find the rains a yeah. little more easy to deal with but that was probably the the craziest wetness that i've ever been in yeah it's it's funny how mindset and the group of people you're with can make or break a situation like that like we've all been in in on rides and in situations where we've been freezing cold or wet or just like uncomfortable maybe it was too hot whatever but if you're with people that have like a positive mindset you know like me Kaz Mr. Positive then it seems it seems it seems like it would be easier to get through that stuff you know yeah we should also mention too that in a lot of places of the world, of course, you're not going to be wanting to ride on the trails when it's as wet as Casimir is talking about. But here in the Pacific Northwest, yeah, there are definitely trails that we don't ride in the rain. But I mean, Kaz, if we didn't ride in the rain, I think we'd only probably get 20 days on the bike, eh? Yeah, exactly. And a lot of these trails, like especially on the shore, they're, they're basically made of rock at this point. So you're, they're actually pretty good to ride in the rain. But yeah, don't, don't go ride your favorite yeah. loamer when it's wet out because that's not what it's, what it's for. So yeah, pick the right trails. But we're yeah. pretty lucky here. There are yeah. good options when it is wet. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about what we should wear. Maybe some recommendations for those really wet and cold days. For me personally, if I can keep my extremities warm, that goes a long way to keeping the rest of me warm. So fingers... Uh, toes, but also my knees and my ears. If I can keep those things warm. Your knees? Yeah. Your knees? Yeah. 
if I can keep Cold my knees localized to your knees. Well, they seem if I can keep my knees warmer, so I have like a set of insulated say I'm say I'm not wearing knee pads, I have a set of like thick knee warmers or I can wear knee pads of course and if my knees are warmer, I suppose I feel you're like, you're not so much of a trouser guy, hey. Well, we're going to get to that. I wasn't a trouser mm. guy. We call them pants mm. here by the way, but yeah. Oh, sorry. The pantaloons. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So when you guys are going out in that kind of weather, so Kaz, if it's if it's like just above freezing and raining, what are you putting on? Do you layer up? What are you wearing? I do. I've actually like I tend to run pretty warm. Like my I, I get like not claustrophobic, but when I if I overheat, I just start it's kind of like freaking out. So I tend to go a little bit colder with what I'm wearing and just make sure I have extra layers for if I do start noticing a drop in temperature mm-hmm. but yeah if it's like a normal winter day here in the pacific northwest and i know right now someone is typing you guys don't know winter this is not real winter it's raining i live somewhere where it's negative five that's like, sarah moore <laughs> i know like you're yeah. commuting <laughs> yeah for the record i spent a lot of years in gunnison colorado where it was ne- regularly like negative 40 degrees so i know what cold is i didn't ride in that because that was ski season but that aside here in the pacific northwest it's just above freezing it's raining i'll probably wear some waterproof pants i'll usually have um knee pads underneath or knee warmers just for an extra little layer of warmth and then a rain jacket like a, a decent one on top and then a, a long sleeve and then an extra pair of gloves like i don't like the big winter gloves that exist out there and even the waterproof ones i'm super picky about being able to feel my bars and so far all the ones that i found they just feel like i'm wearing like you said like neoprene like it feels like i'm going scuba diving and i don't like that so i just wear thin gloves all year round and deal with the cold and just switch them out when they get soaked so but, but again, it's like personal preference. It takes a lot of experimentation. You have to figure out what works for you. Cause I know Sarah's setup wouldn't work for me cause I would be so overheated, but for her, it works really well. So if you're, if you run cold, if you run hot, you have to kind of like bring a bunch of stuff out in the backpack for a few rides and kind of dial your setup in. Yeah. I actually wrote in my last ride log, it was like on Strava and I had like the title of the ride. And then like, you know how your little notes and I was like, okay, nine degrees pouring rain. This is what I wore. wore and I was super comfortable. Cause like it doesn't always come up that, you know, nine degrees and raining and you're like, oh, I'm just going to put on, you know, this outfit, you know, or whatever, and I'm going to be comfortable. And often, you know, I will have a tendency to like overdress and it's actually, then you end up sweating too much and then you get cold. So it's like so hard to just find that perfect, like equilibrium where you're like not too hot, you're not too cold. And usually I do end up just like putting a coat on and off, on and off, on and off, like all throughout a ride just to try not to overheat so that I don't get cold after. Sarah, I know that you have a secret weapon, though, for when things get cold. You you busted them out for the value field test when it was pretty chilly on the Sunshine Coast a while back. Can you tell us about your secret weapon? Yeah, so I went out and bought $400 Lens L-E-N-Z socks. <laughs> They're not sponsoring this podcast, unfortunately, but maybe uh, eventually they will, but Honestly, they make such a big difference for skiing and biking. So they're multi-purpose. I can use them pretty much three seasons of the year. So I think already I've made back my money Um, because pretty much I was doing some Google research and like the more that you have frozen your like got um, frostbite on your hands and and your feet. And I've frostbitten my feet so many times from coaching cross-country skiing and then mountain biking in the cold. And so Pretty much if it's like eight degrees or colder, which is, I don't know if that is in Fahrenheit, but it's like not actually that cold no. for most people. My feet will like just turn white. And I was like, I don't think this is really good for them long term. And so I decided that it was an investment in my health and safety and well-being to buy heated socks. And they have, it's so super cool. There's an app on your phone so you can like turn your like feet warmer or cooler depending on, you know, how warm it is out and how much you're exerting yourself. And uh, yeah, so usually you can just keep them at two and they'll last for like eight hours. So yeah, they're great for skiing or biking. Got me through the battery bikes. Yeah, it's a little battery. It's not, it's maybe like the size of your palm and it clips to the sock. So the, the sock has kind of like heat heating elements, like through the front of it and into the toes. Cause mostly just your toes that will get that cold. And then the battery clips to your like just behind your knee kind of so it, like you don't even notice it when you're riding except that your feet are warm so it's great yeah i have i have a hot tip if you didn't want to spend that much money you could also get and it's not nearly as effective but just from any gas station they have those little warming packages and you know you crack them open and then you could put them like underneath the top of your glove you could put them underneath the top of your socks like on the top of your foot 
And that definitely helps a bit. It's probably nowhere as good as those fancy socks, so I would imagine. I find they work really well for hands. Like if your hands are just so cold that you can't even feel them anymore, I will actually just, I'll carry those around with my emergency blanket this time of year and an extra pair of gloves, just because if you can't break down the hill, like you're pretty much screwed. <laughs> so I have those. Do you those. really you have, have an emergency blanket? Uh, well, it's like a little tiny one. It's also about the size of your palm. So it's all, it all fits in my fanny pack. <laughs> nice. Um, but the ones for the feet, I, I've tried them and they just don't work because you don't have enough like oxygen in your in your shoe unless you have like a really big shoe and so yeah like if they don't they work in your gloves because you have a little bit more air but as soon as you put them into your shoes i've just found that they make your feet your shoes even tighter and unfortunately they don't work at all for me so yeah yeah well, that's the other thing that we should mention too when it's when it's really cold out the tighter that you do your your stuff up that really hurts circulation which is of course not going to help you stay warm so mm -hmm. yeah so battery powered socks Bring multiple pairs of gloves on rides. I like to get, if it's not wet outside, I like to get just inexpensive fleece gloves from like a, a Markswork warehouse or like a construction supply store. They're pretty inexpensive and they keep you nice and warm. And then sometimes I also wear one of those neck warmer things, Kaz. Have you ever worn one of those? Yeah, those are decent. And then like, and you were talking about like ear, keeping your ears warm. Sometimes just like a thin, just a, like a headband helps. Cause same thing, like if you put like a full hat on underneath your helmet, it can be overheating. Like I just feel like I'm overheating, but if I can keep my ears warm, so I'll have like a little, a little headband under there or even like a different helmet. Like I have that sort of goofy looking Jiro Tyrant helmet that covers your ears. It is like goofy this, looking. I know. I kind of like it. It's like the Spaceman helmet, even though someone told me Spaceman have yeah. to have face masks, but old school Buck Rogers in the sixties didn't have a face thing and he was in space so either way that that helmet keeps my ears warm so that's like my winter ish helmet because i don't have to wear a hat i just put that helmet on it's a little bit warmer yeah. Yeah. yeah sometimes i'll just like put up my hood for the first part of a descent so that you like you don't get like the cold air into your ears i find that really unpleasant do you guys if i said if i said the words earwigs do you guys remember what those are yeah i don't like them like the bug the little animal like an actual or bugs no 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 they were called earwigs and there's just all they were were these little fleece black triangles and they just velcro over your helmet straps. I know you don't look nearly as cool <laughs> as when you're wearing that cool Jiro helmet, Kaz, but they, they were effective. Really? I never heard of them. I want to see a picture of you wearing earwigs. They're not to stop the noise. Well, the noise and the wind. Like the noise you, and the wind, wind. Yeah. Keep the wind, keep the chilly wind off your ears. You look like, um, like Vegas Elvis as well, which is a three wins, yeah. I say. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen them anywhere for probably 20 years. So I don't think they make them anymore, but I would love a pair if anybody has some. <laughs> yeah. It's probably because of the name. Henry, you've done some ridiculous rides, some long rides over the years. And I bet some of those have taken place in nasty conditions. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, what are, what's a couple things you've learned over those years? Oh, uh, I think that some things I've learned would be I'm, you know, I, I quite like structure, especially with my riding. So if I can plan my riding around the weather. So if it's, if I'm going to wear lots of waterproofs, I'll try and do lower intensity and longer. If I'm going to do a higher intensity, if it's really cold, I'll just do a high intensity shorter ride. And I'll try not to mix up waterproofs and high intensity because mm. that for me is just like boiling a bag. Um, I'll always clean my bike straight after riding, which I know we always joke in winter. It keeps, when you go down for a new ride and you've got one less thing to worry about, your bike's like absolutely spotless. Mm -hmm. I think it makes getting out the door easier. And um, I think something I've learned over the years is just that, I don't know, man, like I used to do it with, with wind when I used to try and ride as a good, when I, when I had delusions of grandeur about being an okay bicycle rider. And I always used to like hunt out headwinds and ride into them just so I'd no longer be scared of him. And um, <laughs> and then I did that with the rain. And I there was I remember one time there was this thing called the weather bomb over New Zealand and I did this like 400k road ride in it. And it was one of the worst days I've ever had on a bike, to be honest with you. I remember Who eating like thought? a... Like, Who would have like, thought? I remember eating like this like <laughs> five gram of cheese, just like, oh man, I'm dying. But I used to think that part of being mentally resilient was always practicing in the harshest conditions. And now I think actually it's about basically just being positive and you actually don't need to although it does help to practice and prove it to yourself a bit i think um there's no point i used to think when i was younger that i had to do things in the hardest hardest way so then i'd always be ready but actually if you've got that inside you then you don't need to constantly be proving yourself to yourself 
And so now I, I don't get in for that anymore. Now I just pot around and drink tea and biscuits and whatnot. But um, yeah, I used to do some stupid riding when I was younger. So stupid, like always trying to find like the hardest, most horrible thing. Mm-hmm. And like, I'd wait till it was the hottest part of the day. Or I'd wait till it was the coldest part of the day. I don't know why. Clearly some horrible validation mechanisms going on there. But um, another thing actually that's pretty funny is I remember one time doing an Everest on Skyline in Queenstown and at four o'clock the heavens opened and I've never seen rain like that. I don't know if it's because we were tired, but that was probably one of the most demoralising situations I've ever been in. In terms of rain, when the rain came down, I just thought, so this is this is shit. Let's Maybe let's talk about mindset for a few minutes, trying to keep a positive mindset in nasty conditions. Henry, what do you... What do you do in a time like that? Like if it was me, I'd probably just stop and go home, you know, and eat some pizza pops and inside where it's nice and warm. What, what did you do? <laughs> I think um, for me, it's just focusing on acceptance. The anxiety around a problem is worse than the problem itself. So if you can just say, let it rain, like bring it on. I don't care. I want the most rain as possible and I want to win and almost just be like disappointed it's not raining hard enough. Um, I think you can kind of trick your brain into it. I think that truly accepting something and just saying it's just a day like even if you've got to do five hours in it you can just say it is merely a day I'm going to get through this and obviously you know I think there are there is an element of being you know Kaz was saying he runs hot I think some people do just go better in certain conditions like Mad, Mads Peterson, Peterson I think it was in Yorkshire a couple of years ago road, uh, road world championships he just went better in the cold than some of the other riders and similarly in the heat some people go better and I think Although you've got to be positive and and ignore the elements to an extent, it's also about leaning into what you're good at and understanding that. Listen, if you're, you know, someone that is potentially really, really light, maybe quite slender or or you know, doesn't have much meat on the bone sort of thing, and you grew up in a warm climate, you might not have so much fun when it is really, really cold. As someone like me who grew up in an old farmhouse and is kind of a bigger guy, and I can just, I don't mind being cold. It's, I, I go terrible in the heat. The amount of times I've got heat stroke, man. So one time in France, I got like, it was like heat struck like three times in two days. I just kept on riding. And then my body just like shut down. (laughs) Okay. So before we get to how to best set your bike up for riding in the cold and wet weather, let's cover layering real quick. I'm not going to talk about it because I only put on about three cotton shirts to stay warm before I go out in the rain. But I think Casimir knows about layering. Kaz, how, how should I be layering my clothing for cold days? Yeah, I mean, the key with layering is that you have options for when temperatures change and when, you know, your body heats up or cools down. So if you're, say it's really cold out and if you just put one giant puffy jacket on and went riding, you'd get hot within the first hundred yards and you take that puffy jacket off and then you'd be freezing. So you kind of have to, the layers just help it make it easier to to balance your, your body temperature. So, you know, ideally you have a nice little base layer on depending on the temperature and then another, you know, maybe a longer sleeve layer over that. And then you're your layer on the outside that's going to protect you from the element. So maybe a, a rain jacket, a wind shell, or maybe something a little bit insulated, depending on how cold it is. And all that does is just allows you to, to adapt to when things change. Cause you know, everybody knows you start a ride, you feel perfect, but then the first hill you start sweating, you take everything off. So it's that whole balancing act. And then, um, yeah, so just picking that usually for, for cycling, I'd say the layers are more on your upper body. You don't really need to layer a ton cause your legs are moving. So you don't need to wear like 10 pairs of long underwear, but some people do wear a you know, say a long underwear layer and then maybe pants over that depending on the temperature. Um, and then, yeah. And I think it's also nice. I'd say in the winter time, it's not a bad idea. Even if you're a fanny pack, hip pack person, usually you might want to bring a, a camelback just to have a place to stick those layers if you're taking them on or off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your extra gloves that you're going to bring extra gloves too. Yeah. I, I mean, I usually stick those in my pocket so they're close to my body, but, um, but yeah, your extra layers, you do need somewhere to carry them. You can strap them to your Back, you know, you can put them around your waist or stick them to your bike, but eventually you look like you're running some kind of like, you know, good a mobile Goodwill shop. So it's good to have a spot to stick them. Kaz, <laughs> that's that's another great tip. If you're going to bring a spare pair of gloves, put them in some your side pockets. If your pants or shorts have those side pockets up against your body, so they stay warm. Sometimes what I do if I'm if I my hands are cold and I'm stopped on the trail, I'll actually take my gloves off. I put them down my bib shorts. <laughs> down the front of my bib shorts to warm them up and they warm up real quick so hot tip from levy for everybody listening it's that right. with urine or without urine <laughs> the urine warms up even more depends on the day henry it depends on the day and my mindset <laughs> it's many monsters you've had yeah exactly 
All right, let's talk about bike setup a little bit. Kaz, I remember if we go back maybe seven years ago, you and I were in Sedona doing some sort of field trip type thing before we did field trips. And we made a short trip up to Flagstaff. Now, this was, I think, in the early spring. It was still pretty cold. I forget what bike I was riding, Kaz, but it was like, it might have been just above freezing. And my bike worked like absolute shit. The suspension felt so stiff. It felt so slow. The seat post didn't work. I remember thinking, what the heck is happening? So, Kaz, what was happening? I mean, as the temperature drops, the the oil viscosity just kind of like thickens up. So you're all the, everything, even if you or if you have say mineral oil in your brakes, everything changes, and it doesn't do that well a lot of times when the temperature is around freezing. So, you know, depends how often you ride in those cold conditions, what you do to change your bike setup. You know, if it's just once in a while, not a ton really, but um, sometimes it, it can help to speed up your rebound to kind of get it to return quicker. Some people can ch- do change out the oil viscosity, but again, that's I'd say that's more of an extreme case if you're living somewhere and trying to ride in that but um you realistically if it's like really below freezing your suspension it's gonna be hard to get it to work very well yeah i think also um in terms of making setups to changes in suspension if you you know set up your suspension and your sag and you make a note of the psi in the summer and your bike's outside in the shed and then you do it in the winter your pressure will be very very different and so it's hard to consistently change it um so before you go in there thinking, oh no, now suddenly my pressure's really low, you know, it, it will have an effect. Similarly, I've even heard about people being in places that are too cold to use wet lube. Imagine that, Oof. like wet lube just freezing on your chain. Wax lube Sorry, does lube. terrible in the cold as well too. It gets really thick and gross. Yeah, the petroleum stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree if if you guys are riding in cold weather for months and months on end, I mean, if it's really, really cold, below freezing consistently it might make sense to change out the oil in your in your fork and maybe your dropper post depending on what kind of dropper post you have like we all know reverbs move pretty slow when it's cold out but at the very least definitely change your suspension settings um you're probably going slower if it's cold and wet so you can maybe get away with a little bit more forgiving setup that would also provide more grip and as henry mentioned your air pressure and your fork and shock, they do change when it gets cold. The air condenses and it literally takes up less space. So if you were to check your your shock when it's, you know, minus five degrees outside as compared to 35 degrees outside, it definitely could be different. And it's not because you have a leak. It's just because it's colder and the air has condensed. What about tire pressure? Tire pressure can change a little bit too, eh, Henry? Yeah, for sure. I think... Um... Yeah, you know, I think we've all had it where you've had some tyres that don't work as well in the cold, irrespective of pressure, especially mm-hmm. on things like cold, wet rocks, etc. Um, that's a real hard one, just measuring it consistently. Um, if, because, yeah, consistent. Because if you measure it without getting really, 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 really dull here, but I'm going to try not to anyway. If you measure it always at the same temperature, say inside, then you can measure your tyre pressure consistently but if the environment's different which takes precedence the inconsistency of the environment or the consistency of the same temperature do you see what Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. so it does take a bit of i think it's really important to whenever you're testing something or you're you're trying to kind of um you know focus the crosshairs for your setup is to kind of trust your gut to an extent if you feel like it's like your tires aren't gripping like they normally do or likewise or they feel very soft or whatever then you know there's you have to be a bit pragmatic and kind of be happy to happy to change stuff perhaps do you guys ever install mud tires or soft condition tires specifically for the conditions do you guys change your tires for the conditions at all yeah i do like around here in the winter time i'll stick on a, a a shorty or something kind of like a cut mud spike style for a lot of the when it's super wet and sloppy i can usually run the same rear tire but again it kind of depends on your where you're living in here it doesn't usually freeze too often. There's probably just a few weeks out of the year where it's really below freezing, but that's another thing like lower pressure is definitely more common in the winter time, but some compounds harden up pretty drastically depending on where you're at, you know, it just, and it depends on the tire. So even if you thought you bought the stickiest, most magical tire, once the temperature drops below freezing, they might not be so sticky anymore. So it can be tricky to find that, find what works. Yeah. There is a massive difference between just like a, I mean, 
Minions. We all know that the greatest tire ever made, but when it's super wet and slick out, super muddy, I mean, the difference between a Minion and a proper mud tire, like a Shorty or a... I like the Durbaron. I tested that years ago. I still have a soft spot for that. Um, the difference is huge, isn't it, Kaz? Like between a proper mud tire in the mud and a normal tire. Yeah, just getting grip and having them not clog up. And, you know, again, it depends on your terrain. If you're riding somewhere that's super rocky and and Rudy, even a proper mud tire is probably not the right choice because those big, tall spikes aren't going to help you that much. But, uh, but yeah, if there is ground that you can that can penetrate into and obviously again the right trails that can handle uh you running some big kind of nasty tires uh, they can be really fun and helpful do you ever find that like a tire this sounds a bit silly but a harder compound tire in the mud when the ground's softer you know than relatively than you would normally have it then a harder tire can actually help penetrate the dirt but better i found some tires that aren't particularly good on wet rocks and roots but when it gets soft like a almost like a cut spike performs so well yeah i think that's the case for a lot of soft conditions tires like i remember i was running a magic mary for a little while and i mean in the right setting like we all know those things they're freaking they're amazing but i had three huge crashes two of them were on some roots very slippery wet roots one of them was on a wood bridge that i hit at like 35 kilometers an hour and the front end just disappeared on me not good and yeah, I think that's kind of why I want something maybe a little less specific than that for where I ride here. It's pretty rocky. It's pretty rooty. So like a full on mud tire isn't ideal for me. Um, yeah, because they don't work on the harder ground that those hard, the hard compound, the taller knobs, they just flex over. They don't dig into things and then you hit the deck. Yeah. And yeah, to your point, I, mean, I think also like having the little harder compound can be nice and a little narrower tire too for the mud to kind of like help it cut in a little bit. Like you don't, you might think you want super fat, crazy knobby tires for mud, but really something a little narrower can help it kind of track better and kind of dig in past that nasty top layer. You know what you do want really wide tires for is fat biking. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> Don't give them any ideas, sir. They're going to ask for a freaking fat bike field test. And I'm not I feel like we it. have to mention fat bike tires in like we this do. section, yeah. right? Like that's and actually what you should Pluto be for, because yeah. <laughs> and and uh, how like you put in so little air into those tires, like it's crazy, like four psi or something, like into a four inch wide tire and. You can buy like a $200 one with spikes if you want even like it's it's pretty cool like what you can get on a fat bike like for the people that you know it is cold all winter and they don't ski fat bikes are a real thing you know like I yeah rode them alongside skiing in the winter in Quebec and they can be pretty fun not as fun as mountain biking <laughs> but definitely like you there's the tires are a huge part of like whether you float on the snow or if you just like can't ride at all basically and there's only like a certain like very limited conditions where you can ride on snow and it's actually fun which is you know it has to be either hard enough or like you have to be able to float over it so yeah tires make a big difference there can i ask a question about fat bikes because this is something i've never really no. understood <laughs> okay no worries moving on no, go, go ahead go ahead we have casimir here he's our resident fat bike specialist oh is he oh that's good cool so you have the large folding tires so you can do away with suspension because suspension doesn't work so well in the cold is that correct would you say yeah yeah, yeah. you can definitely like Ish. put a fat bike there are fat bike forks but i think overall those tires help make up for any lack of suspension yeah, I was going to say, and then they put suspension on it as well. And I'm like, but the tires are there well, to... No, no, but, no, 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 uh, no, 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 uh, no, 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 uh, You don't need four inches of undamped air spring. That's all a, that's all a fat bike tire is. I've ridden a full yeah. suspension fat bike and it was good, but it didn't, good, it, I think it had a hundred mils of travel or something on both ends. And yeah. I would argue that you definitely don't need more than that. But if I was going to ride a fat bike here in the Pacific Northwest, I think I would like a full suspension fat bike. Yeah, but if I was riding groomed yeah, trails, just... I definitely don't need, you don't need the full suspension or even a front fork. And especially in those, you know, despite the fact they do make changes to the internals, they still don't work that great in this, like in the yeah. freezing cold. So I would stick with a full rigid fat bike. Kaz, I think I'm just pushing my fat bike harder than you push your fat bike. So I just need full suspension and 
Well, have you ridden like groomed Modern trails before? Trail. You just rode a fat bike when it wasn't fat bike. Yeah, you're riding it in the <laughs> no, mud. Like, that doesn't count. That's, yeah. that's just wrong. He's, he's got yeah. me. <laughs> that's like trying to make plus bikes a thing again. Yeah, I actually yeah. rode the fat bike in dry weather. It was great. I know. You did. <laughs> yeah, I saw you. But in the in the snow, it's it's you know things change and yeah. So those those big wide tires and it is cool that there's a lot of places that can groom. There's a, there's a place I know they have like a their grooming machine can groom single track and like pretty technical single track in the winter. So it is neat how that's kind of caught on in a lot of places and it makes tons of sense. Yeah. Let's let's move on because there's always one guy in the comments that asks for fat bike reviews. I know you're listening to this and it's not happening, dude. I am so sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you want him to pedal them along the gravel bike path in Squamish. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not really. <laughs> <laughs> nah. But. I want to ask you guys about winter bikes. I always hear people talking about how they want a hardtail or even a rigid winter bike, you know, lower end stuff. They don't care that it's going to wear out over the winter. And in my head, I'm like, man, the conditions are so nasty. I need all the help I can get. I don't want to ride some freaking, you know, steel something or other with lower end stuff in the winter. What about you guys? I agree with you. I don't, <laughs> all these people who get their hardtails out for the winter, I'm like, I already have hard enough motivation to like go out. Yeah. I'm like, if I don't want to go out riding, I'm not going to go out riding. And there's two times more chance that I'm not going to go out riding if my only bike was a hardtail and it was going to beat me up. So yeah, I think it's a nice idea, but it doesn't work for me. I, I think there are two areas in terms of riding in the winter that mountain bikes have got a lot better for in recent years. First of all, I remember even like five years ago, every time you washed your bike, there'd be a new noise. They didn't seem so well sealed. That's why I never wash my bike. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there'd always be like another crack or another creak. And also I think that clearance has got a lot better, you know? Tires have got wider, so you can run normal sized tires. And actually, but outside of those two things, I'd be struggling. I've got friends that love their hardtails in the winter. It's not really my cup of tea, personally. Yeah. But it depends we, where you uh, live as well, how claggy the yeah, is. I like the concept. I've done it before. Like, it's been a while now. But like in the years past, I'd have a single-speed hardtail for just like messing around in the winter. I think it's because your rides are a little bit shorter. You're just kind of probably going slower because it's so nasty out. So I, I get the appeal, but there's nothing wrong with riding your, your fancy bike when it's wet. It just gotta, it takes a little bit more maintenance. But I mean, bearings cost money, but they are replaceable for a reason. So. Yeah. Pivots last a long time now, and I, I feel like it's okay if you need to replace your suspension bearings after a year of hard use, especially through the winter. But the one thing I will say is that, you know what does make sense to me? Is having a winter drivetrain. You know, if if you're somebody who has an expensive XTR or Axis drivetrain or whatever, just something you don't want to wear out, especially now that parts are they're kind of hard to come by right now, Maybe you want to pick yourself up something that costs a whole lot less and you put it on your bike over the winter and you just destroy the chain and the cassette and it's fine. Is that out of line, do you guys think? Yeah. The weird thing is that the expensive stuff lasts longer. So I don't know how, like, but I, I get the point. Yeah, yeah. You probably just would feel less guilty, but you know, like an XDR chain lasts longer than a, a Dior chain. It's because of the fancy coatings and stuff. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely an option if you, if people that are worried about that, if they picked up something cheap, but. I think, I mean, just again, depends where you live and how nasty the conditions are. Yeah. All right. Let's go down a quick list of quick tips that you guys can do to make riding more enjoyable, keep your bike working better. Um, and then we're going to wrap this podcast up. The first one for me, I don't see this very often. We used to see lizard skins actually make little neoprene versions of this, but I would put one wrap of Gorilla Tape around my brake levers because they're metal and they're really, really cold. Your fingers are on them all the time and that can help. Um, don't use wax lube. Use like a thin lube. And have you guys ever had your shift cables freeze up? Nope. I only ride wireless access side. So <laughs> Same. <laughs> but... But I'm joking, but you're not. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not actually. <laughs> One other thing that I like to do is bring sometimes a little tiny bottle of chain lube. You know those little ones that are like the size of a pinky finger? Uh, if it's really wet out, you can apply that to your chain, you know, after two hours of being out there or your cables if you need to. And then brake pads, use centered brake pads when it's really wet out. They have much more friction. They might make a little bit of noise, Kaz. But I want that extra power, and you guys probably do as well. Fenders, I don't think they do anything personally. Yeah, what? I know you guys how, love fenders. How do you say fenders? Have you ridden without fenders? 
How much mud yeah, is in your eye? And then ride with a fender. And how I much spoke mud to him for an hour, hour about it yesterday. Yeah. He, you're, I know. Yeah. You're crazy. You guys, they make a huge difference. Agree. Levy, you can do your own thing. You guys yeah. put these stupid <laughs> zip-tied fenders onto your fork arches. I uh-huh. have them on bikes too. And I go out and in 10 seconds, I get shit in my eye, fender or not. Yeah, but, but you get you, less if you didn't have that fender with the fender. Exactly. I've definitely yeah. done it before takes... where I'm like, why can't I see going down the hill? And then I'll be like, oh, it's because I haven't put the fender on this new bike. And yeah. it definitely makes a huge difference. Yeah. Use fenders. Those Marsh Guard, like the basic plastic ones work well. Or those bigger ones that we had at field test. What were those, Henry? Who makes those ones? Those were cool. Uh, Mud Hugger Evos. The Mud Hugger Evos. They're kind of oh, wow. bigger and goofier looking, but they actually make a big difference to how much more coverage they provide. Yeah. And I was impressed with those. But looks like I got you a guys goofy are one. This on your commuter bikes. <laughs> I don't care. I'm riding by myself in the woods and it's raining. Itself, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And that is it for our cold weather special. Hopefully there's something that you can take from the stuff that we said to stay warmer and keep your bike working better when it gets really cold. And I want to know about your cold weather nightmare rides. Have you ever thought you were going to turn into a popsicle? Has your drivetrain ever frozen solid? Post those chilly stories in the comment section and stay tuned for next week's show. That-